Welcome once again to Palm Sunday Action Church. We are going to wrap up week three of our It Is Written series in just a moment, talking about the temptation of Jesus. Jesus. Just a couple of quick announcements. Spanish translation is starting next Sunday at all of our locations, and we'll be doing that next Sunday uh, at every service, uh, Sunday morning only, and then the following weeks uh, at the 1030 service at all of our locations. The team wanted me to let you know it is an app that we are using. We'll have live translators uh, on location, but we'd ask for you to bring headphones uh, if you have them uh, along with your, uh, your mobile device that you'll download the app. Uh, if uh, that's not something that you have access to or the funds uh, would never want that to be a hindrance, and so we'll have those available for anybody that needs them at the info center. Uh, next week is also Easter. Everybody's excited about Easter coming next week. Come on. So much to celebrate together as our risen Savior. And uh, I can't wait to, to share uh, uh, the message that God has given me. Our team's done a phenomenal job. And, and I just want to make sure that you and I are, are being the church this week. And in fact, we're, we're having an initiative that we're starting. It'll be in all of our social media platforms, uh, email uh, out to you. It's called Because You Matter. And you'll be getting cards this week to let people know they matter to God and they matter to you. We're giving you ideas on social media on how you can intentionally love somebody this week, maybe through a random act of kindness, intentional, buying something for them, serving them in a way, letting them know God loves them, we love them, and that we want to see them uh, at church next week. And I really believe that we can see hundreds of people uh, start a relationship with Jesus if you and I will be faithful in praying for them and intentionally loving them this week. With that in mind, we are at the 1030 service uh, at every action location, and some of our locations are very full. And so I want to remind you next week, if you're not sitting next to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and let me just be really honest, I mean like they really don't know Jesus. Like I can tell from here. You know what I mean? Like I look at you and think they're lost. If, if there's any doubt, I just want you to know God is going to put it on the list for eternity that you did not obey your pastor in 2022. I'm totally kidding. Please come to a different service, seriously. Uh, we have Friday night, Saturday night, two more on Sunday. If you love a packed crowd and you don't want to see, come to the 1030 and uh, we'll see you there. Uh, for real, go to a different service in Jesus' name. We love you. We do love you. But please, please, just kidding. Come to any service you want, except for the 1030. Uh, week three, Week three of It Is Written. We've been talking about the temptation of Jesus and what Satan does in your life and in my life that is similar, that we see what he does, his schemes, his strategies, and we also see how Jesus responds. And so I want to jump right in for the sake of time today. I want to jump right into Luke chapter 4 and read verses uh, 1 through 13. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to bring that together and apply what that number 40 means, both in the Old Testament and what Jesus is fulfilling here uh, with that number 40. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and revealed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Verse nine, then the devil took him to Jerusalem 
to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus, he responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So we're gonna talk about today, testing the Lord our God. Verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Our enemy is always looking for opportunities to tempt us, to test us, to distract us from God's plan. So this series is important, not just to learn about the three temptations of Jesus, but look at what the enemy is trying to do in your life and in my life to destroy God's plan or distract us from God's plan. I want to remind you today that if you give your life to Jesus, the enemy no longer can destroy you. You belong to God, but he can distract you. And the temptation cannot keep you necessarily out of eternity if you've confessed Jesus Lord, but it can keep you ineffective in this life. And so it's important that we're prepared for this opposition, for this attack, for this temptation. In 1 John chapter 2, it kind of categorizes where all of these temptations or all of these sins are based. It's do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Today, we're going to talk about this pride of life, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to not test God. It says, do not test God. Don't test him. We trust him. We don't test him. You heard that old preacher story where about the guy who, who's trying to survive the, the hurricane and he goes up to the second level and then he goes up to the roof and he's praying that, that God would intervene, that God would save him. And so a boat comes by and says, hey, we're, 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 it's the last boat out of town. He's like, no, 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 God's gonna save me. And, and the boat goes away. And then a couple hours later, the, the water has risen up to the roof and he's literally about to drown. A helicopter comes and drops the ladder down. He says, no, 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 God's gonna save me. And then he dies, he drowns, terrible ending. He gets to heaven and he's like, God, I prayed, I trusted. I thought you were gonna save me. And God's like, I sent you a boat and a helicopter, you big idiot. And too many of us are testing God, we're waiting for God, and we're not seeing how he's already given us what we need to accomplish what he's calling us to accomplish. He's given us the way out. He's given us the resources. Here's the lie of the enemy when we're, when we're tempted or we're tested, when we go through things. The lie is if God doesn't intervene, then he doesn't care. If God doesn't intervene in the time and the place in the way that you want and how you want it, then he must not care about me, my situation, my family. But the truth or the promise is God has already intervened for our eternity. Yes. And that he already has given you and me through the cross and the resurrection more than we ever deserved. See, God, I, you don't care. I, I deserve. You, you and I don't want what we deserve. Come on, Pastor. Come on. Come on. You don't want fair. Wow. You want grace. Amen. You want mercy. You want the kindness and goodness of God, which is pictured through Jesus on the cross. The truth is God does care, and he showed that when he sent his one and only son to die for you and for me. And so I just want to let you know today, don't test God. 
There are some ways in which you can understand the things of God without testing God. And I want to give you two things you can do and then one thing you shouldn't do. Write these down. It is okay when we're going through tough seasons, when we're going through testing, trial, temptation. It is okay to ask questions about God. Dr. Joel Hunter did a phenomenal job a few weeks ago letting us know it's okay to have questions. It's okay. For far too long, we've settled for a superficial religious Christianity that says if you have questions, you lack faith. Is there any healthy relationship that you exist in in this world? How many of you have ever been in a relationship? Some of you don't have your hand up. No relationship, no friends, no kids, no marriage. Go to Action Steps today. We have a big staff. I'll pay people to be your friend. Just kidding. Seriously, you need a friend. Relationships. If you never have any rub, if you never have any questions, if you never have any tough conversations, you have a very superficial relationship. You can ask questions about God because in those questions, in those doubts, in those fears, as you wrestle through it, your relationship actually becomes more authentic and more intimate. It's okay to ask questions about God. Here's the second thing that's not testing God. It's okay to ask God questions. He's not scared of them. He's not scared when you say why. He knew that you would have fears and doubts. He knew that you wouldn't understand everything. Hey, he knows that you have a limited perspective compared to his eternal perspective. And he knows in the context of that relationship that you're gonna have some questions. Your questions don't scare God. You can ask God questions, big, small, and all the way in between. But here's what I want to make sure we understand. We can ask questions about God. We can ask questions to God. But you need to get this today. Don't question God. And what I mean by that, don't test him. Don't question his character, his goodness, his plan, his will. Because when we begin to question who God is and think that we have a better way to do it, it reveals a sense of pride in our own life. I got this. I understand more. My plan over your plan. You know what? You are not that good. You do make mistakes. I'm going to take this one. And we become the center of the story. And it's dangerous because we begin to look a lot like the enemy at the beginning of time. We begin to look a lot like Lucifer. One of the things Satan did And that he loves to do is to appeal to our desire to rule our own lives. When we question God's character, we're saying we have a better way to do it. Rule our own lives rather than God ruling our lives. Satan was saying to Jesus here in Luke 4, you are in charge of your life. So go ahead, throw yourself off the temple. You don't need to be worried about being under God's rule. You're the son of God. You can take charge of your own affairs. Satan wanted Jesus to put God to the test and live with reckless, selfish behavior. And that is the very definition of 1 John 2, the pride of life, that I'm in control. I need you to hear very clearly today across all of our locations that pride is the root of all sin. It got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, 
and it will get us kicked out of God's plan for our life because he'll no longer be the center of it. We cannot be in the, we cannot be in the center of God's will if you are at the center of your own story. And pride begins to focus on ourselves and not on God. The Bible says that when Lucifer was in heaven, Lucifer decided that he wanted to be like God and pride filled his heart. Remember Ezekiel 28, we read it last week. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to earth. We've got to get rid of pride in our life. But I want to talk about pride for a second. Put it on the screen. And I've said this before. We have so many new people. I want to show you what is the... Right in the middle, what is the letter right in the middle of the word pride? That's what it is. And it's so much more than just being overconfident. Let me give you the three things because it's an over-focus on self. The first one, write this down, is insecurity. Pastor, you mean if I'm insecure, I'm prideful? Yes, because you've taken your eyes off of the goodness and the power of God and you focused on your own inadequacy. Check this out. Insecurity defined as this. We discount God's power. We think our weakness trumps God's power. When the Bible says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, and in fact, oftentimes, it's not your strengths that God wants access to, it's your weaknesses, because his power is made perfect in your weakness, and his glory is actually greater when he uses something that you can't take credit for. So when we are insecure, we are discounting God's power in our life, his provision, and his ability to use us in his story. The second one is arrogance. And I'm mostly talking to, to men in here. We, we struggle with this more. You're not as good as you think you are. You're definitely not as good looking as you think you are. And anything you're good at is a gift from God that you've stewarded. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should be a good steward, but I'm just saying you didn't create it, so quit taking credit. Wow. Very good. The only person that gets to take credit is the creator. Amen. And we're just borrowing influence, ideas, strategies, and gifts. You think, no, I did this. Oh, yeah? Tell me how you put your own brain together. Walk me through in heaven when you were helping God knit it. Tell me about the DNA strains and how you came up with those with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You weren't there. So quit taking credit for what you didn't create. Insecurity, arrogance. Arrogance is an overestimate of our power. And here's the third one. We don't talk about it as much. It's control. It's control. When we over-exaggerate our ability to control the outcome. And we do. Because we think if we do this, say this, act like this, it will produce this. And we live in a fallen world, in a relational God. It is not a religious list of do's and don'ts. Your actions, you, somebody's got, some Christian needs to catch this today. Your actions do not obligate God to an outcome. 
Now, there are principles that we should live by that produce certain things most of the time. Am I saying we should not live based on scripture? No, the whole series is about living based on the Bible. Am I saying that being a, a, a disciplined parent and parenting the way that you should according to the Bible is not the way to go? No, you should do the right things because we know what the wrong things produce. But I'm just here to tell you that doing the right things does not make you in control. We live in a fallen world, and we will not see the perfection of God until we get to him in eternity. So I'm saying you're not in control, and to think that you can dictate your outcome or other people's outcome based off of your actions is pride. You and I, we're not God. And so what happens with this temptation is that Satan, when he's tempting us with pride and he's tempting us to to be deceived, oftentimes, we talked about this last week, he uses Scripture. Satan even quotes scripture. When I wrote this down in my notes, Satan knows the Bible, but he doesn't submit to it. Does that sound familiar? You ever known somebody that was like super spiritual? Like they knew everything? They knew everything to tell you to do? To pray for you, to be there for you, but then you looked at their own life and you're like, what in the world? praying for you. I'm also gospeling about you. Telling you how to lead your life, but I can't lead my, my own. Because knowledge of who God is, is not the key to maturity. It's a relationship and a revelation of an authentic relationship with him that we actually allow the Holy Spirit to change us. The Bible says that Satan and the demons know the scripture. They just don't submit to it. So the definition of your and my maturity is not how much we know all the time. It's how much we submit to what we know. What does the Bible say and how do we change the way that we live? Let me get off my soapbox and get back to my notes. There's this idea that we have to submit to it. See, it says this, he twists it, he distorts it, he manipulates it in order to deceive people. So we have to know the Bible, we'd be familiar with it, to know the difference when it's Satan and when it's actually the spirit, because it can seem similar. If the enemy is using the same document, living document, the word of God to tempt Jesus, we know he's going to use it to tempt us. So how do we, how do we know? Like, how do we know when God's speaking and when we're being coerced or persuaded or, or deceived? The, the question is, how, how do we know when we're hearing from God. If I get that once, I get it a thousand times a year, especially from young people. How do I know the, the voice of God? How do I know that, that God is speaking to me? And I can't give you a foolproof test, but I, I can tell you today, there are five questions just practically. This may be the best advice, practical advice you get this year from this platform. And it is this, there are five questions when you get a word from God or a, a word from somebody else, or you feel like God is prompting something in your spirit, or you're reading something in scripture. How do you know that God has given it to you for this season? Write these five questions down. This will be a, a great start to figuring out if God is speaking or if the enemy is tempting. The first First one is, is it written in scripture? If that answer is that yes, we don't need the next four. God told me, cool, where is it in scripture? Not in there, not God. We're done. 
You don't need the next four. No, it's a new revelation. Wrong. If you can't back it up with scripture, it's not from God. God will never say anything to you that contradicts what he wrote in his word. I don't care how convinced you are, that is the enemy. Is it in scripture? If it's yes, here's the next question. Is it in context? And we're gonna have to study for this one. Can I get you a concordance, maybe some commentaries? Book on apologetics. Get the Google and type in a little original language. You don't have to be a theologian or a, a, a doctorate in seminary to get the basic idea of the context of scripture anymore. It is all one click away. Am I reading? What am I reading? Who is it written to? What is the historical context? What did the chapter before say? What does the Bible say in other places? Where can I cross-reference? Where is it first mentioned? Where is it the most powerful, the law of first mention? Then I apply all of those things that you can study and make sure that the verse you are applying actually applies. Because if we've seen anything in our world is you can take a scripture out of context and I don't care if you are the farthest right or the furthest left, you can use a scripture to prove whatever you want it to prove. So you gotta make sure not only that it's in there, but you're actually saying or applying what it actually was meant to say. Is it in scripture? Is it in context? Here's a third one. Is it for me? Is it for me? That could be true across the board, but it may not be true in your current situation for what you need to do. And this is where you need close friends, Christian friends, mature friends, to say, bro, that's true, but I don't know. Maybe not now. I need to figure some things out. I mean, just think about it. You're 17 years old and you're a young man and you're at Momentum Summer Conference. Coming up, signing the kids. You see a girl across the way, you're like, girl, I like the way you worship. And the Bible said, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Boy, you're 17 years old. Sit down. That is in scripture, that is in context, but it is not for you. Because here's the next question. Is it for you? The next question is, is it for now? It may be for you, but not now. You don't want the good things that God has for you in the wrong season. Got to ask the question, God, thank you for this. It's scripture. It's in context. It is for me. I believe it's for me. But now I got to ask, is it for now? And here's the last one, just kind of a broad brush. Is it beneficial? Is it something that God would give to me as a gift for my life, for my future, for my provision, for his plan for my life? I think those five questions will help us wrestle with the Attack of the enemy, the temptation of the enemy versus words from God. I want to close with Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to read verse 16 through 18 where Jesus is, is referencing, he's quoting here. It says, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. So all will go well with you. Then you will enter and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to give you as his ancestors. It's not a coincidence, church, that Jesus responds with this book of Deuteronomy. It's no coincidence at all. In fact, he, he's 
illustrating something that he came to do. Jesus responds to Satan from this book all throughout his temptation. And it might seem random or coincidence, but it is very, very specific. We talked about it some last week, but Deuteronomy is basically Moses' final speech to the people that he has led out of captivity and on the edge of the promised land. It's written to a new generation about to walk into the promised land that should have been theirs 40 years before. Yet their ancestors were too afraid. They were tempted to be fearful and they failed that test. Their ancestors saw the place God said he would give them and were tempted to trust what they saw as opposed to what they knew to be true. They were afraid of the people they saw. Remember the spies went out and they said, we can't win, we cannot take this. They were afraid of the powerful nations that Satan had built and the powers of this earth. Come on, we may not have a real army in front of us, but too many of us are cowering at the enemies of this earth and the enemies of this world. And we're worried about what people think over what God said. As believers, we're staying silent on important issues because we're afraid of public opinion. The 10th reaction statement at Action Church is we live to please God and that's it. And there's not gonna be a comment thread on your day of eternity. They questioned if God could gain the victory. They were afraid to let their fear lead them to not take the land that God had promised. And for their punishment, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. That number 40 is a, is a number of testing and trial in scripture. Moses and the people of God, Jonah, Elijah, but now Jesus. Jesus walks through 40 days and there's nothing by accident in scripture. What they walk through is trial and testing because of failure and disobedience. Jesus is walking to show redemption. The picture of 40 is him overcoming that testing and that trial. The picture of the temptation of Jesus is that he's bringing this, this into a new generation. Those 40 days represent the desert is no longer dry. His quoting of Deuteronomy is the preparation for a new generation and a new covenant. That the battle against Satan is not just beginning, it's all but over when Jesus entered the scene. That Jesus wins and his not falling into temptation shows who he really is. It is a decree to Satan and to the world that here comes heaven and heaven is undefeated. The temptations might be tough, but Jesus is going to overcome it all. It was a shot that declared to the spiritual world that Jesus has come and the limited power of Satan is vanquished. That he's no longer in control, that when Jesus entered the scene, that eternal power was here and it was here to stay. That our victory, come on church, is not just at the end of life, 
But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can have victory over temptation, over our trials, over our struggles. The temptation might seem great, and it is. He's good at his job. But I need to remind somebody today, no matter how great the temptation is, our God is greater. So don't take the the bread of the devil. It is not good for man to live on bread alone, but on the, the very word of God. Don't worship the world through seeking power and pleasure. Don't question if God cares, even when you're going through a tough situation. He's already intervened. Because Jesus did what none of you, what none of us, what I could never do. And he conquered sin, death, and the grave. We don't fight the way the world fights. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. So therefore, we cannot fight the way the world does. We fight with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I need to remind somebody today that it is written that whenever you're in a trial, whenever you're in a temptation, that God will always provide a way out. Quit looking at what you're going through and look to God for a way out. I need to remind you, you may feel defeated, but you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who saved you. That you are the head and not the tail. That you are above and not below. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. To take heart, courage, when you face trials because Jesus overcome the world and you need to hear this today in this room or somebody online that the same power the same power that we're celebrating in this holy week that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and it lives in me we overcome when we give our situation to Jesus We overcome when we build a life on the truth of the Word of God, not the lies of the world. We overcome when we surrender and we allow the conquering King to go before us. I want to give that opportunity right now across all of our locations to begin to win whatever the enemy is throwing at you by surrendering control to Jesus you bow your heads today, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. God, we praise you. We thank you for your word that you've given us today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We give you an opportunity right now to have that power, to have that grace. It only comes through a relationship with Jesus. If you want to start that today for the very first time, others of you, today's the day of recommitment. Resurrender, saying, God, have your way. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are? Say, I need Jesus in my life. I got one, two, three. Come on, several more here in the front. See you in the stadium. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Come on, Sanford, South Orlando, Oviedo, Action Online. So honored to share this moment with you. Just a couple more moments. Proud of you. Yeah. Amazing moment. Giving God control. You put your hands down. Would you pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud? Say this. Say, God, I love you. God, I thank you for saving me. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth that I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. I gave you that place today. Complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus. 
for saving me. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Ex-church, can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? Come on, really celebrate them. So proud of you.